0: Kendra Ocker, President and CEO, Evangelical Community Hospital, talking about the state of the surge and the prognosis for the future of the hospital, and she's not going to disclose today what's going to be happening to the country covered Oh, come on, Kendra, property. you can give us a hint. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> morning, Kendra. You probably can give us hints, because there's only so many things you can do with it. But Kendra, I hope it involves the sticky buns again, Kendra. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that's not going to happen. Okay. Well, thank you so much for checking in. Very much appreciated. We really do think this is a pivotal time out there. So let's talk about this surge in cases. Uh, one of the voices I heard over the weekend called it a secret surge. That, uh, uh, But I don't think it's a secret. I think it's out there, but we're in denial. The general public's like, uh, don't talk about it if you don't discuss it. Maybe it won't spread so much. Uh, how do you encapsulate this increase in cases that we do have uh, now?
1: Sure. Uh, I mean, I, obviously there's a surge, but the way that we look at it is you know, the virus is doing what a virus always does, and it just continues to mutate until everyone's had it, till it, you know, you've been vaccinated against it or it burns out, whatever case it is with whatever virus you're dealing with. And so, you know, what we're seeing is we, we have eight patients with COVID in the hospital right now. One is in the ICU. So we have been consistently seeing around that many patients in the last month or so, um, you know, whether we see an even greater spike, it, it it seems maybe not. You know, maybe it isn't affecting hospitalizations as great. And so at this point, you know, we always hold our breath and, and hope that um, it's not as um, impactful to people as some of uh, what has occurred in the past. So, um, you know, it, it's going to, I believe, continue to do this until – it's deemed what they call endemic, and it's just something that we as healthcare care providers have to deal with on a regular basis.
0: Now, most of the people in the hospital are vaccinated. What conclusion or inference can be drawn there?
1: You know, I, I kind of liken it to what you do with a flu season. You know, you get a flu shot, and they make their best attempt at, at what you know, the flu is going to do that year and sometimes it's right on and sometimes it's not. And I think with COVID, you're going to start to see the same thing. I mean, the value of getting the vaccine is that um, imagine if people didn't have it, um, how their bodies might respond. So at least it gives you some protection ab- against severe response. So when I look at it, um, people that have had the vaccine, they're, they may be in the hospital and they may be getting some um, additional antibodies to help them. They may have a pre-existing condition, you know, something that um, is making this a harder stay for them. But they're not the people in critical care. Kendra, what, so,
2: oh, what types of—that's of, that's how I look at it. What types of variants are you seeing? Are you seeing more than one? Are you seeing one that's predominant, or are they all still around?
1: Yeah, you know, we we do not. See the way we test here and what we get, we don't know exactly which strain um, people have. We just kind of follow what the state guidance is from people who uh, report, uh, or, you know, when it gets reported to the state lab, they're the people that look into that. We don't really study um, too much which variant they have. My understanding is, is it's mostly the evolution of the new variant that is, is, what people, is what is being seen.
2: And are they lesser? I mean, does each wave get to be less virulent or less um, tro- problematic?
1: Yes, I think that's exactly um, how it is. And, again, that's why you're not seeing so many people hospitalized
0: biggest issues facing the hospital. Now we've talked a ton about nursing in the past two years. That's still at the top of your uh, sort of lose sleep headache list.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I guess I would say that all of labor is a challenge right now. We have about 180 open positions across the organization. We're a workforce of about 2,000. So we still have agency staff covering open positions. Um, however, it's we're using agency staff, it's about less than half of what it was during our peak um, patient census. You know, at our peak, we had about 148 agency staff with about 115 of them as RNs. And so clearly where we are seeing um, the need for agency staff is RNs, EMTs, and paramedics, and Medical lab scientists, um, but we've we've been able to cut that in half. And the way that I choose to look at it is, it's it's been a positive for us. I mean, we've been in the sense that we've been able to get agency staff to help us care for the community during peak times. The um, agency people like working here. Um, we've been able to provide excellent patient care during that time, and. Would we like to get back to having our own staff employed, particularly in nurses? Absolutely. But for now, this is the trend nationally, and uh, you know, we're attractive to nurses as, as a place to come and work. So we've had no issues um, maintaining adequate staff to care for our patients. With the census down right now, you know, we've, had to, we've been able to cut in half that agency um, wow. utilization, which has been, been positive for us.
2: Well, having had several appointments at EVAN recently, I'm familiar with the telephone call we get saying that, you know, you must must wear a mask at all times in all the facilities. What did you do now? All your appointments. Um, There's that message and that you can bring one person of 18 years of age or older along with you. Do you see any of these restrictions being lifted? And what what criteria would have to be in place before you would be comfortable saying, OK, masks are optional and, you know, anybody can come in the hospital?
1: Well, masking in healthcare is dictated right now by the state. So we cannot stop masking um, on, until the state says that it is okay, the Department of Health, to not mask in a healthcare facility. So that one is not in our hands. You know, um, because all of our administrative areas and business functions are attached mostly to the hospital. That requires us all to be masked. Certainly in business offices, when you're in your office by yourself or in your small groups, we remove our masks. But as soon as we step out into a hallway, and it's because, you know, we're just a small organization and everything is tied to a clinical area. So that one is dictated by the state. With regard to visitation, we've been easing visitation up slowly, and our plan is by July to ease it up even more, we... um, We'll be moving to 24-hour stays, which was something when we built Prime that we wanted to do for visitors, that if, you know, you have a room by yourself and if you wish to stay with your loved one overnight, um, you will be able to. So we are moving. um, We're going to be hopefully moving to that in July if everything stays the same. But this is a situation, I think, where you have to be able to open up and, and restrict as the virus dictates. And so we feel confident, you know, right now that um, we can move to the, in the direction that we wanted to. So some of that will just ease over time. And again, it's that notion of when the virus becomes en- endemic. And I'm not sure when the Department of Health will say um, that it's okay for healthcare facilities not to have individuals mask but it is uh, i know it's very frustrating to the public when they come in and they have to mask they think we're like everyone else and you should have a choice it's your choice but for us it's a requirement of the state.
2: Well, having a procedure with a mask on isn't always fun either, and I'm sure it's not fun for the people who have to do it. Let's switch directions for a moment. A lot has been mentioned in the media over the past few years about the tie-up between Geisinger and EVAN. What's the status of that now? Where do you see it going? Do you see it changing or morphing in the future?
1: Sure. Um, You know, I think the way that this played out was that it wasn't a a merger, and the uh, FTC generally reviews mergers. It was a minority interest, so it went to the Department of Justice, and they reviewed it from a competitive standpoint. Um, candidly, you know, I don't know that there's quite an understanding of rural health care, but the original um, notion was for Geisinger to take a 30% minority stake in us. Um, it did not go that way. The DOJ would not approve that, so Geisinger took a 7.5% minority stake in us, they get, um, you know, they don't serve on our, there's no representatives appointed to our board. But what it's allowed us to do is, um, you know, we're still a tier one um, hospital in the health plan, which is certainly better for uh, the people of the region who have the Geisinger health plan and wish to use evangelical services. They made an investment in in the prime project and we are still allowed to um, operate and move forward with the Miller Center. We do have some professional services agreements with them where they have physicians who come here. Um, For instance, urology, you know, they have some foot and ankle surgeons who do some cases in our facility. Those things are uh, allowed to continue. And the main one that I think is best, is really good for the public, is the fact that um, in December, Evangelical will move to the Epic platform, and so our electronic uh, medical record will be Epic, and it will be much easier for providers in each organization to be able to, um, you know, with the patient's permission, see the uh, health information of that patient. So if you're a, if you see a Geisinger physician and you end up in our emergency room, the emergency room physicians, for example, would be able to much more easily see your medication list able to see what sort of recent tests you've had, that type of thing. So I think in our area, it really affords um, better patient care. So that's the deal. They have made a 7.5% minority stake in us. We are a totally independent hospital with no control um, or any kind of governance impact or anything. So it, it did not go in, in the direction that we intended um, originally, but um, I think from Evangelical's perspective, it afforded us what we wanted from, um, you know, we're too small to own our own health plan, so it gave us Tier 1 access to the health plan, and it allowed um, the clinical providers to get onto the Epic platform, which is something they really wanted.
2: Speaking of competition and uh, health plans... It's been talked about considerably in the area that UPMC accepts Geisinger's health plan, but Geisinger won't accept UPMC's. Has the medical profession or the healthcare profession become that competitive that we can't work together for the benefit of the patient across all platforms?
1: Well, you know, this is uh, obviously the interesting point that um, the Department of Justice is looking at is how competitive health care is. I think in my seat... On the bus, um, you know, I'm a community hospital, and so, you know, I work for the community, and, um, you know, my job is to ensure that the people of the region receive uh, appropriate health care. So, the way that I view competition is that, um, you know, we need to at times uh, work together. And so it is a competitive environment. I think I can tell you that Evangelical now is only one of 15 independent hospitals in the state. And it it gets harder and harder to remain that way. Our our board's direction is to remain independent, and so I think that um, we can do that. Uh, We're in a strong position, but we can do that by working cooperatively where it's in the best interest of the patient, and that is not necessarily the way that all health systems um, look at care. I can't speak to Geisinger and, and UPMC's Relationship with, you know, what, why the health plans, um, you know, why one accepts and the other one doesn't. (laughs) But uh, healthcare is extremely competitive. And sometimes I personally don't think that's always in the best interest of the patient.
2: What do you see from the consumer standpoint, Kendra? Do you see much uh, shopping, people calling up and saying, hey, what would it cost to get my gallbladder taken out at Evan?
1: Yeah, I mean, that I think is the shift that's occurring in healthcare. Healthcare is one of the strangest um, businesses when it comes to pricing because you set your prices, and then payers negotiate with you what they're going to pay. So it'd be like going to wise markets and buying a loaf of bread and saying, you know, the bread says it's two bucks, and you say, eh, I'm only willing to pay $1.50 for it. And, you know, that's how healthcare works. And so when people have health insurance, and health insurance would always pay for their um, expenses, they really didn't care what it cost. Now, as healthcare costs have just skyrocketed and health plans are, are putting um, – and, and employers are putting some more responsibility on the consumer to spend out-of-pocket monies, people are taking much more of an interest in that. And I don't necessarily think that that is a bad thing. You need to know, you know, what your cost of services are. So now there's all these transparency rules and things like that that hospitals have to post what their charges are, and it's, it's much more transparent. So that is um, – definitely in the best interest of the patient
0: all right last question uh, that relates to the country covered proce- uh, property what was the process that you went through before you decided that you would seek the opportunity to purchase it and uh, what's the process to determine how to best utilize it
1: sure so um when it became apparent that the country cupboard was uh, going to close um, we had the opportunity to express our interest in uh, purchasing the property All of these types of real estate transactions uh, require board approval, so the board spent a lot of time um, looking at was it in our best interest. I think that many people don't realize that we own about 60 acres of land contiguous to that property, so kind of behind it to the west, looping back around to the hospital. We also own Plaza 15, and so – It was contiguous land. Uh, We've always enjoyed a uh, very good relationship with the Baylor and Ham families. They've always been very supportive of the hospital. So, you know, there's always uh, appraisals done and things that take place. And, um, you know, we went through the process and we made our our offer to them. And uh, I don't really know what other people were in the game, so to speak, but it ended up that they they took our offer and and we purchased uh, the property. And at this point, um we are really unsure what we're going to to do with it uh, it was again contiguous to other land that we have and um you know we're assessing it right now we are um generating ideas you know looking at um what kind of uh, other potentials there are really we do not know it it all happened very quickly and we are trying to assess um, what we want to do with it it's an interesting time in healthcare in that um Healthcare hasn't completely rebounded to what it was in 2019. There's still delays in people getting services. Volumes are not back to where they are. So, you know, we we've pulled back to say, you know, what makes the most sense for us to do, and and let's do it right. I certainly appreciate that the public is, you know, has a, a strong emotional connection to this property, um, and that it was a hard thing for the the family, the Baylor Ham families, to uh, get out of this, but. Um, I can tell you that we we won't be in the restaurant business.
2: All right, anything oh, so else? So no she, sticky
0: buns. Oh jeez. No, <laughs> sure right pudding or yeah,
1: nothing.
2: Nothing can, like that. Okay.
0: You can get them in the cafeteria at the hospital. hospital they right. have great food there. <laughs> Super food. Okay. Uh, anything you wish to tell us? Maybe we did not ask anything to elaborate on or anything.
1: No, I mean I I think when you discuss staffing, um, you know, there's there's certainly like every other employer a lot of uh, Job opportunities out there, and um, you know, I think we have a great culture, a great relationship with the community. Our our patient to staffing ratios are better than most. Um, We're transitioning to EPIC, and you know, we have a, a real commitment to quality and a work environment where employees can excel. So, I encourage people if they're interested in positions, we certainly have them. So, you know, we're very proud of the work that the hospital did throughout the pandemic to care for the community. We had more COVID patients per percentage of beds than other um, hospitals in, in the region. But with that being said, I don't always think that the, the, this rural kind of community recognizes the kind of health care it can get across the entire region. And um, I've said it before, but this area is very fortunate to have the level and quality of health care it has from many organizations across the region. And I think the pandemic showed that, you know, this region is fortunate to have the health care access that it does.
0: Well, agreed, and you're very much a part of that, so we're very grateful for that. Thank you for your time. Yes, thank Uh, you, Kendra. Do stay in touch, and we appreciate your observations today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the conversation.
0: Take care. Take care. Kendra Auker, President and CEO, Evangelical Community Hospital.